Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, Sporting Kansas City won another game and looked mostly competent in doing so. Granted, those two victories did sandwich a rather disheartening loss to Houston in the Open Cup on Wednesday, but we're just going to focus on the positives for the moment. This just in, having a competent defensive midfielder is good. We've been beating this drum on the podcast for basically its entire existence, and you are all starting to see why. The effectiveness of this team truly goes with its six, and that was on display again on Saturday night. Mike Illig sat down with Sam McDowell of the KC Star to give some ownership insight that much of the fan base has been clamoring for for several weeks. It was pretty enlightening, including a couple elucidations you may have not expected to see in print. Tactical Corner this week will be focused on pressing systems and how to break out of them. Now, I wonder why we might focus on that this week. Obviously, totally a random coincidence. Cody, as I prepared for the pod this week and waded through a Twitter timeline completely full of Fuller and Balogun news, I was struck by one key thing that stuck out when evaluating Sporting Kansas City's performance on Saturday, and it was something we discussed last week after the win in Seattle. Balance. One look at the passing map, the heat map, anything related to their possession characteristics made it abundantly clear what is really clicking from the moment is having legitimate balance offensively, and that's a really hard thing for opponents to defend. The, yeah, the, uh, the, the beautiful thing about the, the passing map is that, that number six, like right in the center uh, with all the lines going towards it. And um, that, uh, that really is, is uh, uh, I think, a, a big part of providing uh, balance for the team. Um, th- that, you know, having, having Rodoya um, healthy and playing, uh, along with uh, the uh, switch to moving um, um, Tommy uh, to the right side, uh, is really like those two things have are having such a massive effect on on the balance of the squad and the way the squad's able to to build out and the way the squad's able to attack um, and um, and the, the the resistance of the squad to uh, to counterattacking uh, in the last couple of games. I mean, all of those things go hand in hand and um, and I, I think that. Uh, you know, we're starting to see, you know, the, the, uh, you know, all the reasons that uh, that Peter Burmese was optimistic. Uh, we're starting to see, you know, sort of the the those things borne out to a degree, um, and uh, it's pretty exciting, honestly. Yeah, I I think that two things were pretty clear on Saturday. One of them was that. Remy Voltaire is much more effective higher up the pitch. His his pressing is insane from that position. He was extremely yeah. aggressive with his pressing, but he's also mobile enough, as we know, when he you know he generally covers the most ground anyone on the pitch every game, that he can do that and still get back into his appropriate uh, rest defense positions if he needs yeah. to. Um, he's so so that he's, that. Go ahead. That that ground coverage is 
Uh, it's really impressive, and that's always been one of his defining sort of characteristics as a player, his ability to just run for days and cover lots of ground. But but really, um, especially in um, in this system, that's that's the job of an eight, and that's not the job of a six. And I think that that was that's always been part of the part of the problem with him playing the six is that yes, you you lose that because he's not at the eight, but but it also his his willingness to just ru- to to run <laughs> like literally everywhere all game uh, actually is a actually you know does a disservice to him because it pulls him out of position sometimes when he should probably just uh just stay camped and and provide more of a central structure um to the team so um so yeah i it's i, I it was really great to see him uh play so well um uh last weekend and uh really loved uh seeing him get that assist because that was big time and 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 again we had you know runners in the box um midfield runners in the box you know it's like we that's another thing we've been saying for a long time and it's you know it's, it seems when it when it's put into action it seems so so obvious you know yeah i i think um it's it's sort of a soccer is domino situation with him at the six he's again so active as you said mobile mobility wise but you would often see when we talk about these passing maps and it's got the average position of every player on it, often you would not see Voltaire as centrally as he needed to be. His average position would be shaded generally to the left. He would get sucked to the left a lot. And that allowed space to play in behind him when he was supposed to be the central single pivot. Rodoya is camped right in the center of the pitch all the time. He does not get himself out of position very often. Voltaire can, as a left-sided eight, can just be bombing up and down, doing all of the very aggressive running things that he is good at, and also make those aggressive runs into the box, hit the little back heel flick to shallowy like he did. I mean, that was a champagne football goal, like everything about that. We'll get to it here in a second because there's a lot of things I want to break down about it, and most of it is that good players are good. But again, it's also about players being in the right positions, to utilize their positive attributes effectively and Voltaire being at that left side at eight. I was, I was hopeful that that's what would happen is that he would play the left side at eight and they would not move Tommy back over there because I think Tommy and shallowy tend to trip over each other a lot. We've seen that a lot this year and they didn't, they, they uh, Vermees was smart enough to realize that Tommy needs to continue to play on the right. And they kept the balance of the, of the formation a lot better and Voltaire was exceptional um, getting up and down. But again, the secondary part of it is is Tommy playing on the right and providing width and that gravity over there. And I was really surprised by um, how much Jake Davis was getting involved with Tommy and Russell on that side. You, you, you would think being sort of a converted fullback sort of a backup fullback option if that's what you want to call him and he's played fantastic in the three games that he's been in he was he had significantly more touches higher up the pitch than Ndenbe did and um was again probably uh, the only reason that he's probably not the best defender in the day um is because Rosero scored a goal other than that I think he was probably the best defender on the field again yeah he he's really been um 
uh, amazing kind of a revelation and it's it, it's it, it it goes back to the squad balance thing where um you don't have to you don't you don't have to game plan around having a an older non-mobile player out there um you can actually have a plan that uh, that involves both fullbacks uh playing significant attacking roles and and when you have you know, when when you have two fullbacks who are able to get forward and involve themselves in the attack, you have two wingers who are um, who are inverted, so you know, able to cut in onto their dominant foot, and um, and then you have um, a, a good number six sort of anchoring that the whole thing uh, and allowing the 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 uh, the free eights to cook. It's you know, it's it's pretty amazing, and and. Y- that's that's the way that the system is supposed to work, um, and and it's just unfortunate, you know, that as as we saw with with the Houston game, it, it really does like it, it does take all the best players to make it work. The only thing about the Houston game that I, we're not going to spend a ton of time on that one because I don't know that there's a lot to learn from it, other than the fact that um, the the game model doesn't seem to be broken. The game model was working in Houston. They just didn't have the guys to score the goals on the field. I, and so I, I'm i kind of like a little bit whatever about it because Houston had two shots in that game and had one on goal. That was the goal that was scored. And it was it was well taken by Thor Olfarsson, but also not the greatest goalkeeping situation from John Polskamp. Mm-hmm. And it was just that was it. Like Houston had 0.07 XG in that game. Yeah. Yeah. They got beat by statistical variance in that match more than anything. Mm-hmm. I, and so I'm, I'm not going to get too worried about that because otherwise the the the, the game was playing the way it should have played they got a little cross happy at the end which happens when you're trying anything you can to score a goal but the the model was working they had several significant opportunities on goal that were not finished so Um, i'm and i'm totally with you and um especially given the minnesota result it's not it's not that big of a deal um until today right until you see the 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 salaries come out today and then i don't know i mean it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth like again it was like rubbing salt in that wound and and um you know uh, and i i just think that that you know the 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 players that that played in that game uh should have been able to to do more given how given how much money they make you would yeah, there's some there's some questions that need to be asked of the chief soccer officer of this club for sure, based on some of the decisions that have been made there. One of them is not signing Nemanja Radia. I, right. I don't believe that that is a poor decision. No, I have some questions <laughs> that's a, about that's a decision that's we've just been begging for that for for literally years. We have some questions about how long can he successfully stay on the field for a long period of time that we have to that have to be answered, and you know is he being overcompensated a little bit compared to what his value is. I don't know. Well, we'll, I'll get in that conversation. We get to potpourri. Um, But again, it was good to see a team with balance creating chances that were not shots outside the 18. Yeah. Even, even Shallowy's goal, Shallowy's goal was a pretty low XG chance, but it's a goal we've seen him score plenty of times. If he's on his right foot looking at the side netting, he's going to bend it in that corner every time. He's just extremely good at that. So I don't call that a 0.05 XG chance for Shallowy. That's like a 
0.25 xg chance for shallow he's gonna he's gonna score that at least one time out of four um and if he's wide open with no um with no pressure and can just hit it he's gonna he's gonna score it even more often than that um let's talk about that goal really quick because the thing that um, really stood out to me is something I'm seeing more and more. The more games he plays is Polito's playing into form. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. noticed this, like yeah. he's getting better every game. You can tell like just his game fitness is getting better. And the, the, the receive and turn that he did there and just eliminated the, the Minnesota midfield yeah. and then was just on the ball driving forward. And then, and then the little chip over the top of the back line to put Voltaire on and then the, I mean, the back heel and the and the it was all just really pretty. It was really pretty to watch. Yeah, it was. But I, what was really eye opening to me was Polito dropping back to receive, receiving on the turn, and then driving the ball forward. You're almost you almost got a fourth midfielder at that point, mm-hmm. which becomes really really hard for opponents to know who to who to come up and press in that yeah. such situation. So so he is not only a fourth midfielder. Um, but you know, even when we've seen other uh, other other guys play in that position, who who uh, attempt to drop in and and help sort of facilitate like that, they're 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 not really a a, a danger to score, right? And he's he's a he is um, when when he turns, like all hell breaks loose because he could he can shoot from distance, he can he can take players he can take center backs on multiple center backs one one v two if he has to and and try and create a goal and he is a he's a, a an excellent passer in that situation too and so he's just a uh, um, he's just a threat from many many different aspects and it's a handful for defenses to try and uh, to try and compensate for that. There's been already the rumors talking about Chivas trying to get him yeah, back sure. and will paying a transfer fee. I'm, first of all, Chivas is not paying a transfer fee for him in the summer. There's no way this boarding is going to give him up in the middle of the summer, especially if they start getting on a run of, of victories and he's playing into form. Like they spent so much money to get him here. They're going to get yeah. everything they can out of him. And he appears to be happy here. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I think it's more likely that, that they try to resign him for a one plus one or something like that. If it, yeah. I think it's, I think it's worth waiting a couple months to see how this plays out, but He's he's definitely getting the rust shaken off and starting to look like the player he was before he got injured. Given um, given given the 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 past two years, I think it's worth uh, being patient and waiting as long as possible to 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 ink a deal because um, you, you know he's still at the at the early stages of coming back from. Uh, from a prolonged absence and a and a, and a very serious um, uh, surgery and injury, and so um, it's 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 uh, it's just smart to sort of you know just kind of keep an eye on things and have a wait and see approach. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the first goal, our guy Danny Rosero, who um, has been close on several set pieces already, finally breaks through. I, it wasn't the best header on earth, but it was at the other post and it was toward the ground and it's hard to, it's hard to get. And that's what, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. Not every, not every header is, is, is pretty, uh, but you're supposed to get your head on it and put it down and put it towards the post. And he did all of those things and that's why he scored. And, and 
you know, much like the the conversation with the the number six, that is another thing that uh, that you, that we've asked for on this podcast since day one um, was uh, a set piece threat and a, uh, a an athletic you know presence uh, aerial presence um, on on the back line and and uh, it's just so important you know it's it what what it does is um, it it draws you know. Scoring, scoring that goal against a set piece goal against Minnesota immediately draws them out, right? It 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 keeps them from from bunkering and and um, and you know just making our night super difficult because they're playing for a point. And because the thing, the truth is, and and this is something you know, I told my wife when we were in the stands. Uh, I think after maybe after the second goal, I said that the game is over, right? That Minnesota um, has no attack, um, and if they can't. Um, it, they 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 are uh, are a team that's really not capable of overcoming a multi-goal uh, deficit, and so uh, that that goal started off, you know, putting them in the hole. Yeah, I mean, they came out in a three-five-two, which is actually generally not the greatest thing to do against Sporting Kansas City. That's usually a a setup that they're fairly successful at taking apart. But yeah, they were they were not going to try to be very aggressive going forward. And they weren't until they moved out of that 3-5-2 and brought on Amaria and and actually started to try to be a little bit more positive. But they were already down two goals at that point in middle of the second half. So it it was um you're right. It 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 forced them to try to do things they didn't really want to be doing. And they don't have. I mean, they're such a different team without Reynoso. They're so different in their like. He makes everything work for them, and you know he's a elite level number ten. I understand why. It looks like maybe he he might start getting close to playing soon. Uh, MLS has unsuspended him, so he's at least able to do team activities. But regardless, from Sporting's perspective, it was good to meet up yeah. against Minnesota without him. It, it, in the second half, I, I I actually I admit I I was kind of feeling sorry for Robin Lode, you know, because um, because he's a good player and he is a, a a competent attacking player and he he didn't you know hardly sniff the attack all night long because he had you know they had him playing in a deeper role and 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 you know because because they don't have they just don't have uh, enough game changers uh, around the field to to impact the game and so. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I was kind of uh, feeling for the guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, not I'm not feeling for anybody not in much. that place. For <laughs> things have been so poor for sporting yes, for so long. True. I'm not feeling for anybody when they're having a bad time. Uh, the one thing I also wanted to highlight: Shallowy's delivery on these corner kicks has been significantly better over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it it was pretty garbage to begin with, and it has improved. And it was a very nice corner that he threw into Rosero to allow for that goal. I don't know if it's his forte, but it's an improvement over well, what it was. It's it's better than it's better than anybody not named Johnny Russell. And you need Johnny Russell to be on uh, on the field, right, trying to score on those set pieces because he is an aerial presence. And so. Um, um, Shallowy's set pieces have been better than Tommy's set pieces, and so as far as I'm concerned, he should just keep keep doing it. Yep. Um, Tim Melia came off with an injury. Um, looks like he's going to be out for a little bit. Uh, they said they were going to do a scan on it, and I, I don't know. I saw the injury report today, and he's definitely out. I'm not sure why Pulse Camp wasn't in the roster on Saturday, other than he played Wednesday, so maybe that, that's that why was, McIntosh that was my got assumption. to. Yeah. Yeah. 
I will say when we get to the conversation around breaking a press, I almost prefer Macintosh because he's a lot better with mm -hmm. his feet. Yeah, he's he's a really good passer. Um, so maybe we'll see Macintosh. I don't know. I don't. I, I understand why they want to play Pulse Camp. He's the young, homegrown goalkeeper who looks like he might, you know, with more time and and growth, could be something really, really good over time. Um, but maybe we need to be situational about his usage sure. until some of that stuff gets better. I mean, it took T. Melia a long time to learn how to hit a decent pass, and he's still not the greatest passer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's some opportunities there to use Macintosh effectively. I thought he played good. He obviously made that save, although he made that save with his face. That's why goalkeepers have to be different kind of people because you got you you have to be willing to just stick your face in there. You yeah. know? Make yourself big and hope it hits you. Yeah. And yeah. it did. It just hit him straight in the face. Um, anyway, it, he did. He did. He played well. And um, they, my, I think know, he's earned the opportunity to play more. At the end of last season, he had uh -huh. three or four games that he played very well in. And I totally agree. I think I think he's earned the opportunity to play some more games. And the thing is, like it's it's really it's really difficult to um, to evaluate goalkeepers. Um, I think that you know, especially if you don't have a lot of experience at that position. Like look look as as someone who's who's trying to analyze it. Like I I have a really hard time evaluating goalkeepers. Um, you know, I will say that uh, I, I think Pulse Camp is good, but um, he usually uh, he doesn't make a lot of saves that you wouldn't expect him to make. Right. And and I think that Melia, that's one thing that Melia does is he makes astounding saves um, on a regular basis. And um, and even though even though I kind of prefer I like I like Pulse Camp size and I like the fact that he comes off of his line, he's really aggressive um, in, in clearing balls out of the box. Um, you know, the fact is, is that is that I think that um, that Melia is a better shot stopper and and uh, I kind of see Macintosh as maybe somewhere in between the two of those. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I have. We might have to save that for another podcast. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on it um, uh, on on our goalkeeper situation and who's the best force. I think Pulse Camp gets himself into positions where he has to make spectacular saves because he's not managing his box effectively I so um I, and i agree that melia is laid off his line too much that's why they gave up the penalty mm -hmm. I, once he decided not to come off the line in the first place he should have just stayed home jake davis yeah. was there there was no reason for him to to do that davis had pushed him to the end line like he was supposed to all he's gonna do is cover his post there and as long as davis doesn't allow the cutback there's no issue and yep. for him to jump out when he did and then davis backs out of it because melia's calling that he's got the ball and then he doesn't get it it there's a whole lot of and, and it was just the decision was made way too late um i well, think and that, that could be melia, rust too because yeah you know he hasn't yeah but played in so many i think games. he's also 37 and yeah, i don't Rami think he i don't think he gets off his line at the yeah. pace that he used to he's still an totally amazing agree. athlete i mean you look at yeah. the dude like the dude's in amazing shape but Still, I anyway, I could go on this for a while, so we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, going on to number two of the top three, we still have a little bit of an issue with the number of quality chances that are being created. Um, the team is still not getting over one XG. 
I mean, very much. They were at like 1.5 against Houston, and they played up a man for half for an hour in that match. Um, they did not hit clear one in this match against Minnesota. They did not clear one against Seattle. Um, they now, granted, they've been holding both of those teams to non-penalty XGs well below a half of an XG. So right. I, I, I think defensively, they're they're looking very solid as long as they don't give up penalties. Um, but there's still I'm I'm concerned that the volume is not there for when the finishing starts going back the other way. We I expected that they would start finishing at a higher rate soon because they mm-hmm. weren't going to finish at this low of a rate all season. And mm-hmm. they still are underperforming their expected goals for the season by about two. So it's not like it's the end of the world and they're going to continue, I think, to regress to the mean as far as that's concerned. But if we want this run to continue, they need to start increasing the volume of chances. I think that that uh, a lot of that is going to have to do with um, with just finding Polito in uh, open spaces in the box. I still think that uh, that he's not quite on the same page with everybody, and and they're not, you know, at, at, um, they need to do a better job of 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 feeding him in places where he can be dangerous. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the the fact is that given the way that the team plays, even the style that the team plays, and the game model that Peter Vermees chooses to uh, to utilize, um, th- this is kind of it, right? I mean, you're not creating um, a, a lot of high. You're not creating high quality chances. You're you're creating high quantity chances, and um, and so there's there's a there's some of this that we're just going to have to live with as fans because that's kind of um, the way that the team plays. Now, obviously, I mean, I, your your point is right. You know, we do need to, to find a way to create some better chances. But, um, you know, I, I, I just think that, that the the style that, um, that the team plays lowers that ceiling uh, a little bit. I think but that's the thing that I think has been interesting of the last few games is that they really haven't been settling for – outside the box shots and low quality chances like the 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 average quality of each shot has actually improved over the last couple of matches they're just not getting enough of them as a, so what's happened is as opposed to rifling 25 shots from 20 yards out they are now being more patient and looking for the right chance and getting a higher quality chance, which is more likely to score. And they are scoring now as a result of it because good players are playing and they have the quality to be able to score these 25 to 30% chances. And so I think that that's good, but the best teams in this league, i.e. LAFC that we're gonna play on Wednesday, tomorrow night, as we're recording this, is they create five to six of those a game. And they have Denise Buanga hitting lasers from 30 yards. So like they have both of those things going on. Um, just just to clarify, I, I um, you know, when I when I uh, say high quality chances to me, that's, you know, those are those are high XG chances that um, that generally tend to come from more transition uh, moments and that's and and when I say that the the you know the the game model doesn't really allow for that or doesn't um, it doesn't prioritize that the the you know what Sporting Kansas City does is 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 um, 
you know, possess the ball in the opponent's uh, in the opponent's half, and uh, especially in the attacking third. And when and when and when a team does that, you are oftentimes playing against you know ten, uh, nine, ten uh, people in the box, and that makes it difficult to uh, to get high xG shots. I I understand what you're saying. I don't know that the game model necessarily prioritizes it as much as the opponent's systems they're playing require it. Um, all of the goals that they scored, with the exception of the set piece, have been transition goals. So the 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 goal that they scored against the the second goal, the Champagne football goal, that was a that was a line breaking pass mm-hmm. to to Polito that he took on the turn and then got into space and scored in transition. Similarly, Gotti Ginda's goal was an absolute transition goal where Johnny Russell fades into the center, pulls some guys to him, sees and then Kinda like curls his run off the back shoulder and he slips him through. Those are those are disorganized defensive lines that you're passing through in order to score. And the same thing happened at the end of last season when Eric Tommy and Willie Agata got there, they weren't scoring goals off of build-up phase through multiple pass sequences. They were scoring off of transition. So I don't know that, and and the 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 goal opportunities against Houston weren't all that weren't all you know there were a couple there was one Fontas had a header that was on a cross but and but if Fontas I mean, is that, that, that high they're on a set piece so like I I think that I would disagree with you that I that the game model is prioritizing build out phase I don't think that that's necessarily so, true I think that they use build out phase to um to defend against transition. I think that the, the they're using that that structure in order to create a rest defensive shape so that they don't get beat in transition. And so they're a little bit monotonous and not as crisp in those scenarios because they're not very they don't they're a risk averse in that circumstance because they don't want to allow a transition event when their back line is high. Right. And they're they are still and they have been at the even at the beginning of the year when they weren't scoring, they um, they are one of the best uh, counter-pressing teams in the league, in the, in the opponents attacking third, and the and and you know I think that that you're right to identify that those were that that the goals can, are coming off of, of transition moments, um, but the big difference is that um, though that those are the goals that those <laughs> they were not taking advantage of those transition moments uh, in the first 10 games right um, they were not attacking quickly enough they were not decisive enough and so um, you know the whole the whole idea is that you is that you you know you defend by possessing the ball in the opponent's uh, half of the field and if you lose the ball that's your chance right to to uh, to counter press win the ball and then go right to goal and, and this is the the, the Jurgen Klopp right. corollary and, and, and this is and this is what Vermees has been doing for 5 years it's that yep. last it's that last piece the the going right to goal and, and turning counter pressing moments into uh, into attacks that's that's what has not been happening uh, and that's what has started to happen the last few games and i think this is what Vermees has been trying to say for the for 6 or 7 weeks which is when we get our good players that are capable of achieving right. this, we will be successful. And I mean, it is bearing out. The best chance in the Houston game came from Kyrie Shelton, who was they turned the ball over and he was right there, you know, and and uh, that was a that was actually a super high XG uh, shot. And, uh, you know, but we know who yeah. took it. So. <laughs> 
Just make it bank, man. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's a good gig if you can get it. It's like backup quarterback type of stuff, man. It's, uh, we'll, it's we'll pretty get, amazing. Again, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. We'll get to <laughs> later. Okay. Um, the last thing in the top three, Mike Gillig sat down with Sam McDowell. Did you read this article? Did you, I, did you did happen not. to get to it? Okay. Um, so it was actually fairly enlightening. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I would suggest you go read it. We know Sam. He's great. I understand yeah, that the KC stars behind a paywall. There are a variety of ways you can get access to reading this article. Um, I would suggest that you do it, but it was it was wide ranging and it was deep as it typically is when Sam um, gets this type of access. Um, the, the couple things that really stood out to me was one that Mike was pretty clear about the fact that you know if if Vermees doesn't start getting results with the full the full complement of his players that that's going to be a problem. Uh, it was He was very clear that the results up until that point were unacceptable, that they did a lot of analysis about what a change would actually gain them. And and this is fair. Like, this is the stuff that we talked about on the podcast is, would a change actually do anything? Would it just make us feel better that a change had happened or would it actually substantively approve this team in some way? I think long-term it might, but in the short term, I think, the team is what it is and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have substantively made a, a significant uh impact and i think that's the the conclusion that the ownership group came down to via a lot of analytics and analysis about what value they could place on making a change and so but he was also very clear that they believed that Vermees needed an opportunity to see his vision play out with the players that he signed that he wanted to play with. One thing about MLS is it's very much uh, a top heavy league as far as your roster. Your roster is extremely top heavy. And as a result, if the people if the players at the top aren't available, you are going to struggle to be good. Um, you can see what happened to Seattle last year when they lost to Alpalo. You can see what Sporting did to Seattle when they didn't have Joel Paulo two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. Um, it, no team is immune to having injuries at the top of their roster in very important positions. And so I think that I understand that analysis. I understand why, you know, we've, we sat on this podcast. It's like something's got to change. Something has got to shake up or, or you know, it's we're not going to see any improvement ever. Players getting back. Um, apparently they went on a retreat of some kind. That's what Johnny alluded to that, the, the, just a player only retreat. And they kind of went through some things. I, I don't know. I, I mean, some of this is psychological as well. They were gripping at chances. They were trying to, they were always making the wrong decision. It felt like it just, a lot of things weren't going well, but Illig was very clear about the fact that if with these new players, with these new players, with the high quality players returning, the results did not improve that a change would have to be made at that point. He also did admit to the fact that if and when they move on from Peter Vermees, it's probably a three-year rebuild, which is rough to yeah, think about. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, but, I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's what we're faced with. I mean, that's kind of... Uh, and honestly, I mean, any if you have any, um, any team in MLS or elsewhere, frankly, that has... Um, that has a, a, a coach and a, and a system who've been in place for so long and and uh, has so many of, of that coach's uh, players um, you know, on the team. Um, that's 
any team is faced with that kind of rebuild. Um, and and you just look at you know look at look at look at the problems that that Bob Bradley has had in Toronto, and and uh, that rebuild has been. Um, what well, we're in, this is in the third year of that, isn't it? And, uh, they're, they're nowhere close to where they need to be. So, you know, I think he started last year, beginning of last year. Yeah. I, that would not, so, that would not surprise me if I had it that wrong, honestly, I, <laughs> it just I seems think, like, I, well, I think they're in the middle of the second year of this one. Uh, I'm telling Bradley you in Toronto. The, the world cup being in the middle of, of, of the winter has just destroyed all soccer time relevance for me i have it's hard for me things things that were recent feel like five years ago it's bizarre yeah so he started in 2022 so he started last year so he's in the the he's about the halfway point of the second season uh but still there the the point is still valid that it's yeah. not like things it's are a, it's I a mean, tough it's a tough thing to they do. have the two highest paid or two not two highest they have two of the four highest paid players yeah. in the league and these are world-class players, and part of the problem is they can't keep them both on the field at the same time. The other part is, like, they've gone through two iterations of trying to make a defensive line, and they can't do it. So yeah, that's, I, that's the biggest problem, like, between you and I is they neglected the spine and went for the, you know, they spent big money on, on the luxury items first, and that, that was the wrong way to do it. And it's kind of surprising that Bob did that, but, you know, whatever. But it, it also shows that when you give one person all of that control yeah. that it can go sideways one yeah. of the things that mike did mike illig did um allude to in the article is that when he talks to other owners they actually say to him it's like sometimes having these as separate roles isn't the greatest thing either because i have yeah. to deal with conflict all the time they're yeah, you know the, the coach that. and the sporting director are not always on the same page and i'm constantly diffusing conflict between them and sometimes we got to let somebody go because it just doesn't work. And you, then you create even more chaos. So he, there, there are pluses and minuses to both of these scenarios. Um, I think what we came to grips with a couple of weeks ago was Vermees probably deserves this season to try and figure it out. And if, if these two wins are an aberration and things start turning poorly again, that it's probably time to rip the Band-Aid off but he deserves the opportunity to try and figure it out with his plan in place. Um, oh, he, and he's going to get it. It re- doesn't really matter mm-hmm. if, yeah, if you mean, and I think that. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's much benefit to firing <laughs> no, him now. Like no, that, that's I, the point. I, I is like, I, I'm kind of in the place where it's like, what, what difference does it make? Like if you fire him now, it just feels better. It doesn't actually achieve anything. It just yeah. feels better to us. Um, and, when we get to the salary review, I'll also talk about the fact that he can't really do much this summer anyway, as far as signings are concerned. So you get to October and you're just like, hey, things aren't working out. You let him go and you start fresh with the new sporting director and coach going into the offseason for a rebuild of the roster. I think that that's the way you go about doing it. But the way things are right now, there's not much he can do as chief soccer officer this summer other than buying someone out if he wanted to sign somebody and we i think we know who that would be so and we would all agree with that so i i don't think that there's a significant concern with letting him continue to roll this season to its conclusion and see where we are then and and make decisions after that yeah um he did go on a bit of a rant in the members club after after the game <laughs> um i don't know i the, the first part of it was fine. 
he t- you know he, he goes into this whole thing he's like you know support the players i can take it i can take the criticism support the players and then he proceeds to show that he can't take the criticism and talks about how how many great things he's done for the club dude you don't need to tell us we know we don't we don't need to be reminded by you especially it, it just it speaks it reeks of a guy who does not um has not spent a whole lot of time communicating to large groups of people and doing it effectively there's a reason that most politicians have speech speech writers and w- there's a reason why the the people who lead very large companies and whatnot um are very effective at communicating to groups of people um Vermees just kind of went off half cocked and had some ideas in his mind and just did not really communicate them in the best way in my opinion i i don't i don't disagree with the premise of what he was trying to say but i disagree with the manner in which he did it i don't mind it honestly and i don't mind uh, i also don't mind people getting upset about it because um they have every right to do that and he has every i mean i mean he's a competitive guy you know i mean I, I I would be surprised, and he's not a politician, and so I I would be surprised if if uh, if he didn't have those feelings, and and you know I I respect the fact that he came out and talked to people, and you know sometimes you just put your foot in it, and and it's okay. I mean he is he is the person he is, and and he deserves to be that way. He deserves the that that uh, forum to air his what he thinks, and fans have every right to. Um, to not be happy about it, uh, I, I I just like I, I just, the whole thing amuses me. I I don't have a strong feeling either way. I just it's a little entertaining, honestly. I, I, I'm in the same place. It's just more entertainment for me than anything else. I just kind of like to sit back and watch it. Um, it didn't really bother me in either direction. It just I, I can understand the people who were frustrated by it, why they were, and that it just sort of. It's just it's a lot of clumsy communication. Sure. Like people absolutely. trying to do things and just doing it sort of clumsily and whatever. It's it's not a big deal. But you know, the guy the guy is nothing if not earnest, right? I mean he's not um, yeah. he is he is who he is. And and in in a respect that should be celebrated, right? We 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 give Bruce a hard time for being that way and um and uh, uh, but but it's also part of his charm. It's part and he's earned that too, you know. He's earned he's earned the the to some degree, Bruce the, is significantly more dismissive than Vermees. Totally, is. I mean, absolutely, and sort yeah. of sarcastically yeah. and like really just like dismissive. Uh, Vermees yeah. will, Vermees will grumpily shut something down. Mm-hmm. Bruce will be will make you feel like an idiot intentionally. Yes, he will. It's great, honestly. <laughs> I just, lo- I just love it. I, uh, I love that un- unfiltered thing. I, I'm, I'm glad that I don't. Uh, it's just entertaining, right? I mean, uh, I'm yep. glad that I don't have to be on the uh, the the receiving end of it. I guess, for sure, for sure. Okay, let's move to tactical corner. So this week we're going to talk about high pressing systems and how to break pressing systems, and not just high pressing systems. Um, obviously, the high press is going to be very uh, important to Sporting Kansas City's philosophy and tactical setup uh next saturday because they'll be playing in st louis and we know st louis employs the red bull style of extreme high pressure all the time um but you know not all pressing systems are created equal as we talk about all the time on this podcast sporting kansas city uses pressure all the time they're a little bit more positional in their pressure system and obviously they use gig in pressing or counter pressing as as we discussed um 
almost every week. Very much a Jurgen Klopp-ish kind of system that they use to create transition moments. But the whole point of pressure, obviously, is to create a situation where you create turnovers in an advantageous part of the field. And while your opponent is scrambling to get back in their defensive shape after you've turned over the ball, you can directly attack them and use that chaos to your advantage. Um, What is a high press? Um, Basically all pressure systems, but obviously specifically a high press, it's a zonal defensive strategy. So when we talk about, we've talked about zonal systems a lot. If you think about zonal systems specific to set pieces where a player is sort of covering an area, um, you're, you're separating all of your players into vertical and horizontal channels, just like you would in a positional play system when you're trying to possess the ball forward, except in this position, in this circumstance, you're actually positioning your players in order to defend and cut off channels to the opponent. So the whole concept of it is that you are providing pressure to the person with the ball at the same time, utilizing the players behind it to cut off opportunities for them to play to them, for them to pass the ball to someone else. And, and when you limit those options, you make it difficult for them to make those passes and you can turn over the ball. I think everybody sort of understands the concept of this. Um, Again, there are kind of three different traditional pressing styles. The high press system, which we will see against St. Louis. There's positional pressing, which is a little bit more like gigan pressing and um, counter pressing situations. Or what you often see sporting do where they will trigger press with their eights, depending on how the back line of the opponent is trying to possess the ball forward. And then you've got pressing trap systems which you see employed a lot. Manchester City uses these a lot where they will um, where they will um, sort of sort of pressing trigger to a ball carrier and then rotate a guy back behind him at the same to to create so much cover that 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 the, the outlet pass is immediately intercepted and usually in really high leverage situations. So trap pressing traps are really designed to catch a ball carrier by surprise. And, and allow them almost nothing out of nowhere and then turn them over and get, and get going forward. I like to I like to think of what City does as more of like pressing funnels, right? Where they, you know, they they're specifically they push the ball into uh, one they, area. They, yep. they 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 let the ball go where they want it to be and usually that's in uh, you know, that's at the feet of the 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 least competent de- passer, the person who's 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 uh, less able to uh, pass out of pressure, um, and then you know once they have that ball there, they they have the trap set in place to uh, to try and win the ball and 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 then attack off of that. It's a uh, I don't know, it's pretty awesome, honestly. It's a it's a mm-hmm. it's They're a sophisticated. Really it. it's they a, have really it, smart right. players. That, that's know it. How to play they have, it well. they have smart players, and they are like very well drilled. So it's it's the the two sides of the coin, and and um, and that's why they're 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 the best, man. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing, and we're going to talk about high pressure systems and how they're used for a minute, because I think it's important to understand that so that you can then sort of deconstruct how you would break it down. So we so you have positional versus counter pressing versus a pressing trap. Um, and then you've got the sort of a high pressure system, which is what we'll see from a Red Bull or St. Louis or um, Philadelphia. What is the con of a press of a pressure system? 
usually the whole concept of any pressing system is that you're trying you're generally doing it in your opponent's defensive half so you are trying to be aggressive in their defensive half so that you can turn the ball over in a high leverage situation you're close to their goal you're able to turn that into something effective well in order for those for these pressing systems to work if you're running if you're going at their back line that heavily you've generally got a pretty high line of confrontation and then your lines have to be compressed against that otherwise there's too much space to play behind you and just break out of it very easily so what does that mean well that means your defensive line's probably inside of the half line so if and when you break down and that pressure is played through transition moment bad transition moment right potentially um and this is something we've seen sporting struggle with in the past over the last couple years when their counter pressure is not pulled off successfully you've got andre ufantas trying to run down a free guy which is nightmare fuel for a lot of us um but it it, it is a potential issue with any type of pressure system that if and when they are broken through, it's a free transition moment for the uh, for the opponent at that point. If so, so I think it's worth repeating that um, pressing high, like pressing into the opponent's um, defensive third, necessitates um, um, a very high line. You can't you can't do it without it, and and because you have to compress all of the field and you have to take away all of the passing options. Right? So the so the idea is to completely uh, to completely limit the space that the opposition can play into, um, and um, and so that's why uh, oftentimes you see um, you know center backs. Uh, having to defend one v one on you know balls over the top um, or even uh, or even through the defense is because they're they're on an island and that's another reason why we've kind of um, you know been been um, asking for um, a, 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 a like a real defensive midfielder is because it, it, that player um, that player sees everything and they sit in front of the uh, the center backs and they're able to um, they're able to position themselves off the ball to um, to best break up um, those counterattacks. And we've I mean we've talked about this before, but I think it's just worth repeating that that's I mean that's really kind of um, what we're looking at and that's the importance of having um, th- those athletic center backs um, um, who can defend one v one, but then also that that key um, holding midfielder. Mm-hmm. This is also the reason why, in my opinion, Tottenham Hotspur is commonly able to beat Manchester City because they play a very direct counterattacking scheme. Yeah. And they have they have in their forward line really good passers. So if Harry Kane or Hungman Son gets a ball over the top to their feet, they're able to play the outlet immediately and get behind that high line. Um, that is one way of breaking down a high press or, or a, a, is to play over the top of it or and it can work. But when you do that, that you need to have effective players who receive to win that duel when it comes over the top. So let, let me back up for a second. So if we if we come to the agreement that a high pressing system means that you are trying to turn over the opponent in their in their defensive third. And it requires that you have a very compressed high line of confrontation and a very compressed line of the three lines of defensive players behind it in order to limit the options for the team possessing the ball. How do you break that down? 
there are only three ways to break down a press. Okay. One of them is via a link player. So you've got someone who is capable of getting into what is it is capable of receiving the pass and immediately switching it to the next person that's open very quickly. It requires a lot of precision. It requires someone who's really good on the ball and is really good with spatial awareness in order to pull it off. There's what we there's switching the point of attack, which is which when you when you deal with a pressing team, they're very much going to be compressing themselves. If you if you get to one side, they're going to try to compress you against that line to leave you less options to release the ball to. If you are able to play across that point of attack and change the side of the field to where they are not, you can oftentimes create an outlet at that point. And the other is going over the top. Those so, are really so, the only three ways to, to break down a press. Just to be clear, the the um, pressing successfully requires a defensive overload. You have to you have to stack the numbers in your um, in your favor in order to win the ball back. That means anytime you have an overload, that means that there's an underload some other place, right? So so that means someone that is uncovered. Some, someone's right. Someone's open, and um, and you know systems that that. Are designed to break presses. Many of them are uh, are designed in order to um, in order to free up and find that player. And so that and that that's why I was getting to the three different ways that you mm -hmm. could find that player potentially. Right? You're either you're either hitting a long switch. You're using a link player to then get it to that player. Right? That player shades themselves into an open position that's got enough space that they can receive and turn with the ball to that open area. Or you're playing over the press. To that open player, those are those are the those are the three ways that you can look at doing it. Um, the link player is often the way you see sporting do it for the most part. They pull their defensive midfielder into the whole double triangle sort of diamond situation where you've got you've got goalkeeper six center back center back. And they're in sort of a parallelogram, I guess is the best way of describing mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's effectively two triangles on top of each other. Um, and obviously the six and the goalkeeper can pass between each other, but you've got the, the, you've got the center backs wide. And ideally what you're trying to do when you're playing out of that position is you've got that fulcrum. No one is typically pressing with more than three in their front line of pressure. Um, until maybe those three have created an overload, a defensive overload to where they've pushed over and then you'll have people rotate behind them. But typically the base pressure is going to be two to three forwards are pressing your center back and goalkeeper, defensive midfielder, whatever. And the idea that you, that you would use through this link situation, usually it's the six, but also it can be the fullback if necessary, is that that person can shade into an area behind the pressure and then allow for an outlet that can then very quickly be played to the, the open space as the collapsing pressure from the second line comes to them. I think that it's worth it mentioning. It's hard that, to pull off. Right. And, and so, so one of the important things about, um, about trying to play through a midfielder is that you have to really create a lot of space for them to operate in. And so, so you'll see, um, you'll see maximum width used. Um, you know, you'll see the center back spread wide, even outside of the 18. Be right? out on the edge right. of the 18. The, the, yep. the, 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 uh, the fullbacks will be um, uh, on the lines and, and advance up the field because the idea is, the, is to just, you know, is, is to spread, 
spread the defense out and uh, so that you can create space for that player to work. And it's not you don't do that with all, all three of the of these uh, uh, methods of breaking the press. There are there are you know you you want you you want um, you want your off ball players to be doing different things in each one of these scenarios. And um, so space is the enemy of the press, right? They, the mm-hmm. the whole point yeah. of a press is to compress space. Yeah. That's that's what you're trying to do with it. And so if you can create width and space, that is a good way to Drew, Drew, help the whole, negate the, whole, the effect. The whole point of soccer is to create space and take away space. That's it all. Boils right. Down I understand. I, but <laughs> but but that's but that I, I, again, I'm just I'm I'm being very specific because what yeah. a press is designed to do is to collapse space. Yep. That's why you use it. You're trying to collapse space. Um, if you're able to create a bunch of width, you can negate the ability of the press to collapse that space yep. without or they have to in to your point earlier, commit so many bodies forward that they're really, really risking being played over the top of. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that when All you're, right. when you're, when you're, when you're opening up the middle of the field, that also pushes your, your, um, your attackers, your forward line, uh, forward a little bit. Right. So again, just the maximum amount of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so switching the point of attack, these are, this is, a little bit less risky of an option to use because you're not so reliant on a single player in the middle of the pitch being able to handle a pass and then release it quickly into space. Um, if you consider how leveraged that, 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 that midfielder can be, in that circumstance, if they don't pull it off, they're, they're basically giving the ball away and their two center backs are wide and trying to collapse on a guy who's got the ball right at the top of the, I mean, you know, basically at the top of the D, mm-hmm. right? And, and that is a high leverage situation. That's the, that's the now, St. Louis special. Mm-hmm. And that's how they keep getting those turnovers all the time. Um, so I, I feel fairly confident in... Nemanja Radia's capabilities to do this. Um, Ilie was actually elite at that was is elite yeah, at this. Absolutely. Um, and that was one of his um, insane qualities for this club is his calmness on the ball and his ability to find a pass in high, high leverage situations. Um, and I think Radia has this capability as well. Radia's size also helps him there. He's not mm-hmm. going to very easily be lost in a duel in that circumstance. So I, I think that that has also something to do with why he's on this team, because yes. this is how Vermes likes to play out of these situations. What you can additionally do, switching the point of attack is a lot more how Spurs play out of this situation. They're, now they're a much wider team, although lately they've been playing with the back four. But when they've been playing in that 3-4-3, three, three, um, they're using their wing backs and they're letting their wing backs. Um, so the, the center back will sort of rotate. They, and it's playing with a back three, that sided center back will sort of rotate over and push the ball up the sideline. And then as the pressure starts to collapse, they can switch from that scenario. Um, there's a little bit less risk in this situation because if you turn it over there, you're turning it over against a sideline. Usually you're just kicking it out of bounds off of a guy's shins. You're doing something along along those lines. And the turnover isn't as big of a deal and you can get back into your low block or mid block shape um, while they're resetting. Um but it's also not as effective as often in getting forward quickly as 
anyone who watches Tottenham play in, under Antonio Conte system could tell you it was it's it's a little bit methodical and it allows the pressing team to also retreat at the same time. So it, the ball it, spends it's not a lot of the time most in the effective air. in it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you hit that switch, you're just watching it float over there, uh-huh. and they're all retreating <laughs> back to their position, yeah. and um, it doesn't it doesn't work as well. Whereas if you're using a link player to move that over, it can be two snap passes and the guys in space running on a ball. Yep. And if you've got a very good defensive midfield passer, he can play it onto his run and let you know what I mean. If it's if it's mm-hmm. if it's played from let's say Fantas to Radia, and Davis is making his run up the sideline, and Radia can just release him. Now you've got a situation where you're running at a reorganizing defense. And so is it more risky? Yes. Is it more likely to create a really good transition event for you? Also, yes. So there's a reason why people play that way. And obviously the last one is hit it long, hit it over the top, try to find your forward posted up against the center back, Um, especially if it gets to a situation where you've drawn too many of their defenders forward. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a necessity at that yeah. point. If they've collapsed seven guys on you, the best option is to play over the top of them because at that point, your eights have the ability to collapse up and try to win the second ball as long as your forward is successful enough in the aerial duel or if it's a ball over the top that gets to his feet, he can lay it off. Um, that's ideally what you're trying to do in that situation if you have control of it. The problem with playing against pressure is you're not always in control. Um, So some of these are used in different scenarios, but that's usually the ideal role of the long ball over the top. One, it's either just to get it out of there, but two, it's also you're hoping to win the first or second ball after that. And if you lose the second ball, the second ball, that you're creating your counter counter pressing shape right off of it and getting right back into pressing that ball, and then trying to create transition off of that. Yeah, and I think that that um, that's uh, oftentimes the way that uh, Sporting played, especially at the end of last year, um, with uh, with Willie Agata is playing uh, is playing balls long to him to so that he could hold the ball up and and then play to runners um, um, in coming out of the midfield or uh, or on the wings. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think that. Um, I think that Polito is a is a very well-rounded um, uh, center forward. I don't know. I I don't consider him like a a really great you know winner of aerial duels or hold up player, but he does a lot of everything really well. Um, and so I don't know. I I, I kind of um, there's part of me that thinks that maybe it's something to to expect uh, some some long ball play against St. Louis, especially because uh, we're playing them um, in St. Louis, um, but. But uh, frankly, I don't think that the that the qualities of our forward line really um, match up to that um, strategy very well. And so I don't know that uh, I don't know that I've talked myself out of it, basically, is what I'm saying. I don't I don't know that that's what we'll see so much. I think if Roddy is healthy, they're going to try to play link. They're going to try to link play through it. Yeah, I agree. So we'll just have to we'll just have to see how uh, how that how that shakes out. But 
Anyway, wanted to spend some time talking about it because I think it's not just important against St. Louis. I think it's also important against L.A. L.A. will allow you to possess against them. The the, mm-hmm. the way they play now is a much more pressing trap, counter-pressing kind of stuff. And they will give you opportunities to possess the ball and then um, try to turn you over. And so I think it's important to be aware of some of these things as well. They will be a little bit higher up the field um, in possession, trying to turn you over and play behind you. Um, it won't be a high press as much, but um, they do high press sometimes. Uh, all teams do it to some sure. effect at some yeah. time. Um, not all of them are doing it constantly like uh, St. Louis is. Okay, let's get to potpourri. Just like your favorite Jeopardy category, this is where we discuss one topic that could be anything in and around the Sporting Kansas City MLS soccer sphere. The salaries have been released, as you alluded to uh, recently here, Cody. Um some interesting revelations <laughs> came from this. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the whole Kyrie Shelton deal. Someone's going to have to explain that to me. Um, Kyrie's on $625,000. Um, someone's, can I get this guy's agent? Please, can someone get me, like, can I get Kyrie's agent on the phone so he can negotiate my contract? Because I would love that. Yeah, I and I spent some time looking at uh, the players that are are sort of, you know, making uh, a similar amount to him. And, you know, even some of the the players in the forward line and, um, you know, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of starting level players, a lot of starting quality players and um, and and a fair amount of players who are who are younger and uh, a lot of players who have scored, you know, more goals. And so it's uh, it's, you know, to get to get a, a three year extension uh, after last year uh, on that number, it's uh, it's 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 perplexing, frankly. Um, and 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 I I think even um, um, uh, Chonis's contract. I mean, he's he's on the same deal basically. You know, uh, same same amount, same guaranteed compensation. And um, I'm not sure that 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 is warranted either. Um, it it's very strange to me. I I don't understand the the thought process honestly. I don't know either. I I mean, there's some there's some interesting ones in here. So obviously, Kyrie being on 625 grand is is sort of eye-opening he was on like 350 last year or something like that and now he's on 625 um and what did he do last year I mean, what, what, what did he do on... to earn that to earn that raise what i mean tell me i, I just please i don't I'm, i don't get it <laughs> i'm like i said i'm as i'm as confused as you are and i like i want i want his agent that's all i have to say i mean he got a three-year deal oh my god anyway um Rodoya is on about a million and a half, but there's some bargains in here too. Danny Rosero is on 450 a year. Fantas is on like 425, 450. I don't have it all in front of me, but it's it's significant reduction. So they did a really good job of um, reducing their investment in the back line that was way overpaid and um, and getting some better performance out of it recently at a much lower investment figure. And then they go and dump. 600 grand on Kyrie Shelton. 
Uh, Daniel Shallowy is at a million one. That's kind of in the realm of what we thought it would be somewhere in the Jordan Morris range. Um, I think that that's fair. If you watch Daniel Shallowy every week, he looks like a million dollar MLS winger. I, yeah, I really I think don't have fair. much problem with that. Um, Shoot, I was I was ready to make him a DP last it, year. That and that that would have been a a, a silly thing to do. But um, you know, mea culpa on that, I guess. Mid level Tam is fine. That's yeah. that's right in yeah. the wheelhouse, I think, yeah. for him. Um, but what it also means is that when I did all the math on all the salaries that they've they've listed and and where the team is, their cap position's really tight, like really really tight. I don't see them having any opportunity to do anything significant in the summer without buying somebody out. Um, I've also seen reports that via the waiver situation with Ben Sweat and Uri Rossell that um, that Sporting may be covering some of both of those guys' salaries still. And I think that that's a that's a that that also limits their effectiveness to be able to do anything this year salary cap wise. There's a whole lot of opaqueness towards, you know, what actually accounts for a player's salary cap charge, how much GAM they've carried over from a previous year. They get a little bit of GAM for um, missing the playoffs last year. They got a little bit more because St. Louis entered the league. There's all kinds of weird stuff that happens where they got some allocation money for this or that. They traded a couple of international roster spots. They got some GAM for that. There's some GAM that is that is capable to be carried over from previous years, so... There's a little bit of opaqueness related to what their position could be, but I'm telling you, like, the way the math works out, they don't have but a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank right now. Uh, there, there's just no way that it's. Let me put it this way: it's it's less than five hundred grand that they have available. Um, and if that's the case, I just don't see how they're making a substantive addition in the summer. Unless they let somebody go, uh, they're they're the one value that you can say they have in the summer is that um, anyone brought in the summer, their cap charges half their annual salary. So whatever their salary would be for that time frame, um, they're paying them half a year. They're getting half the salary cap charge. So there is some value in that. That's how Eric Tommy and Agata were able to be signed last year because they only took half of their cap charge hit. So that has something to do with you know how they're how they're lined out, but I. I don't see anything significant coming this summer. I think this team is what it is, and mm-hmm. Vermee is going to have to figure it out. Uh, I think the team, uh, I think the team was built with the intention that it is what it is. I mean, I think that that was the the idea all along, um, and I think that the the stumbling out of the gate uh, this spring obviously was uh, was something that wasn't foreseen or planned for. Um, I think they probably expected things to be a little bit rough, but probably to to you know just gain a few points more uh, along the way, just because MLS is MLS, and and to, I don't you know obviously they didn't expect to have a historically uh, bad start to the season, uh, but they did, and um, and I don't I I think that uh, I I don't know where I would make. Um, a lot of additions to the team, frankly, um, that uh, were anything other than depth additions. Yeah, I, I don't think we know what this team really is to begin with. We don't. We haven't seen enough of them at full strength to really have a realistic understanding of what they actually are. And um, so, 
And from that perspective, you sort of want them to continue to play as is. I will tell you that as I looked at my 2024 roster build spreadsheet, I made some adjustments from what we talked about a couple months ago, given the, I mean, I think one of the things I talked about was like, you know, replacing Graham Zussi with a, you know, a useful depth right back. Well, mm-hmm. I think we've already found that person. Yeah, so I, I, I think that there's, there's limited concern with um, some of these roles. I think if Johnny Russell's on a million a year, you bring him back at that number. So th- there, there's some changes to my calculus on some of this um, as to how I would look at planning upcoming seasons. Um, and I think it, that's going to continue to change as we see these players perform throughout the rest of the year. I just wanted to take a moment to to, to point out that another thing that uh, this podcast was right about was the uh, Graham Zussi uh, utility sub uh, concept so we're, we're ahead of the curve on that one too there buddy i mean one thing that you're always you're always good about is ensuring to let people know when we're right <laughs> There's well, no yeah i'm not gonna that. let them know when we're wrong <laughs> that's just silly come on <laughs> uh it does it does it, so i agree so, with you though I was just going to say that that the 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 salary stuff the the only concerning thing to me is that there is there is age concerns still um, on the team um, even if we even if we consider that maybe we're we've we've we're over that hump with uh, with Raj and Zusi um, you know you still have uh, Johnny who's getting up there obviously Amelia um, Polito is well into his uh, his early thirties. Danny Rosero is 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 thirty, so you know just in terms of thinking long term, I think that's something to keep in mind. I don't, I mean, I don't think that it's uh, it, the situation isn't uh, isn't you know an emergency or isn't isn't dire, but it is something to you know as we as we start uh, thinking about the team renegotiating contracts and and who they bring back and who they uh, let go their own way. I think that that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. I, I think uh, older age players are more of a feature than a bug when it comes to this team. Uh, the, the system that they play and what they ask them to do requires veteran understanding of football to, to, to pull off. So I think that, that that has something to do with why the roster is constructed the way it is. But I, I hear your concern for sure. There's a limited window for some yeah. of these guys to yeah. be highly effective. And when they, when they get to... 32-33, you start to be even more concerned about it. I mean, Fontas has played fine since Rosero's been on, but he's 34. Yeah. Like, th- there's there's some limited value in some of these places. The, the problem is uh, is you don't know when that window closes, right? I mean, that window that window can be open in the first half of the season and then and then closed for a player in the second half or, you know, open in October and then spring rolls around and and it's like, "Oh, nope, that uh, that ship has sailed." And so um it just makes it. It just makes it. Uh, it makes it challenging for Peter Burmese, frankly. Um, and you know, and that's something that you know, like Alex Ferguson was really good about was just you know cutting cutting loose the players and letting them go their own way early, and then you know constantly you know churning the roster and bringing in new players. And and um, I don't know. I I. I it has seemed like there have been times when Vermes was on the right track with that. You know, when we talk about you know Beesler and and uh, Ilya and and uh, Benny Fellhaber, uh, who who all left uh, to go play at other clubs. But um, it, it's just he's just faced with uh, with some more tough decisions. This is it's that's all there are in his position, right? It's difficult decisions, and so um, there are some more coming down the the pipeline. 
I think it's a little bit easier when you're Manchester United in 2002 to be able to cycle through players than it is when you're sporting Kansas City in 2023. But um, I will, I, I agree with what you're saying that you need to be a little bit more brutal with your decision making sometimes. Um, I think that Vermees looks at it more from a performance perspective of what does he know that he has yeah. versus what is maybe more of a question mark when it arrives. Yeah, he is, he is nothing if not cautious. The decisions are made the way they are. Yeah, he's he's nothing yeah. but not cautious, and and he his hand has to be forced sometimes. That it's just the that's just the person he is. Yep, but that's how we also get Jake Davis at right back and find out something great. Yeah. So I, I think that you're right. I think there's two sides to this argument. Okay, one thing to look for. There's actually two things to look for this week because Sporting Kansas City is playing at LAFC tomorrow night at the Bank of California Stadium. Or no, it's BMO Field now, isn't it? Yes, BMO it is. Stadium? Yes, it is. I don't know. The Bank, bank of should, Montreal is sponsoring everything. You now. should go there. It's awesome. I, I should go there tomorrow? No, not to, just, to, just in general. You should go there. It's awesome. It's a fun place to watch a game. And it you looks might like see a cool spot you, you sure. might see Will Ferrell too. Um, you never know. I'm not gonna see Will Ferrell. I don't have that kind of swag. <laughs> I, I I can I, just because I can get into the field club at Sporting Kansas City matches doesn't mean I can just show up and hang out with Will Ferrell. Um, okay, so uh, LAFC, uh, no Kellen Acosta. They've been playing a lot of midweek games lately, so I, I would feel like there's some opportunity for a rotation for them. Um, both with CCL and Open Cup, they've been playing, you know, every, you know, Saturday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, whatever, for a while. Um, but no, Kellen Acosta is an interesting situation for them because they'll probably play in a 4-3-3. And we know that Elie requires a little bit of defensive help at times. Yeah. So can we take advantage of that is going to be an interesting, interesting dynamic. Also, what players are able to play significantly in this match knowing that you're going to st louis on saturday I, yeah. I mean we're at the spot of the season where most of the guys that have been playing regularly should be fit we know certain players that are coming off injury are not mm -hmm. um so that that's going to be the interesting dynamic for me is just to see what guys we have available in each of these matches we we do know that if they are anywhere close to being fit they'll they'll play because that's the way that's especially if they especially if they've been playing the last couple of games because that's the way uh that's the way Peter Vermees rolls so I'm not worried about Jake Davis I'm no. I'm worried I'm more worried about uh Nemanja Radia right yeah. like uh, yeah. those are the guys I'm worried about being able to play and I don't think he, I don't think Radia can play 90 minutes in both of these matches yeah and you saw at the end of last when he came off at the hour mark and Voltaire moved back there immediately. Minnesota started playing to the center yeah, it was, of our midfield. It was it, wild. it was immediate and, and successfully. Like they, it was like somebody opened the gate. <laughs> I mean, they made they made some changes right around the same time, which had yeah. something to do with that they went to a back four. They mm -hmm. brought on Amaria. I, I, there were some reasons in both directions for it, but it was funny. I was uh, talking to some folks that I sit with, and they were asking, you know, what player do you watch all the time? I was like, watch number six. See number yep. six. Watch number six. It, it it's it's hard to notice what he's doing unless you're watching him. And then as soon as he came off the field, I'm like, watch him. He's going to rotate back to this position and watch what happens to Sporting's midfield. And sure enough, like within 30 seconds, the ball yep. goes through the midfield. She's like, oh my god! Like you know, like how are you able to predict this? Like I'm not. It's just it. We know what these players are. We yep. know what their skill sets are. So anyway, we'll have to see. You know who's available for these matches. Um, LEFC is candidly the best team in the league. 
I, I don't think there's much argument about this. When you watch them play, they are the best team in the league. Um, not having Kellen Acosta is a concern for them in the midfield, but it's not like, you know, they'll break out freaking Duenas or Jose, Jose Cifuentes or, you know, Tim Tillman and, and be fine. Yeah. Um, so bring your Cifuentes off the bench. Kind of, oh. Yeah. <laughs> rough. <wild. laughs> rough. Um, they will like to get out on the break. And Dennis Boanga has obviously been flying. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how we handle that. The one thing I will say is the, the back line that we've been putting out for the last couple of games with Davis and um, and Denbe at fullback does not allow for as doesn't make it quite as chaotic when we're getting back defensively in those situations. Um, but L.A. is really good quality up front. So yep. we'll just have to see what happens. St. Louis FC on Saturday, the first of what well, they're calling it the Heartland Derby. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, I think that's what I heard. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, anyway, I, I, I got to say I, that, I, that uh, I don't care. The, this, all the soccer capital stuff, um, I, I feel about that the same way that I feel about I believe that we will win. So I, that's, all, that's all I'll say. I don't really... I don't really care about any of it. The only thing I love about it is that is that St. Louis is so butthurt about it. They really like are. that's I what I love about I it. I, I really them. couldn't give a shit about the actual thing. Right. They're so upset about it. And they're like putting billboards up about it and they're doing all this stuff. <laughs> We've been doing soccer since 1907. I'm like, <laughs> why who are you, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> to who? Like, why are you so worried? Like they're 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 so like the inferiority complex is so strong with these guys, and I just don't get it. Like, so from my perspective, I could give a shit about Soccer Capital of America. I thought it was pretty funny that Sporting put a bunch of Soccer Capital of America merch out like right before this game. Uh-huh. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it was a good troll job. Uh-huh. And then watching the St. Louis fans lose their mind about it. Those are the things that I enjoy. I, I don't care about it personally. I just like I like watching the banter. It's just like the Peter Vermees. Yeah, it's uh, all entertainment speech. It's just entertaining to me. I, I really don't care about it either way. I'm just um, like, I hope, the, I hope. The key uh, with St. Louis. You hope what? I hope Zach Cobb has his, uh, has his game face on. It's uh, it's like his Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> we could, we could lose five, nothing. And he'd still be trolling them. It, do, it doesn't stop Zach in any time, any way, shape or form. Um, the one thing I can say about St. Louis is they've been pretty much garbage since their five, five, five win start. And they went five and zero to start the season. They've won one game since then. They actually have the same amount of points over the last five games as, or actually they have less, less points yeah. over the last five games than than sporting does so their their dp striker has been injured too so i mean you know it's all part of it is he a dp i don't think he's a dp i don't think think they have any dps do i think he is i'm 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 certain he is he is dp by name but i don't think he i don't think he's over the mid the minimum salary threshold okay i would have to look it up but i'm fairly certain i don't think klaus is making over 1.6 a year um Anyway, he is a key to their success. If he's and and him not being out there has meant f- for some fairly pathetic performances by them. I mean, they got basically dominated by the Chicago Fire. Uh, Klaus is at uh, one point three seven guaranteed. Yeah, so that's that's Tam. That's a Tam contract. Yep. Well, there you go. 
Um, anyway, he is, he's still whatever they, they've done a really good job in St. Louis, like mm-hmm. getting players for reasonable money and, um, working the salary cap very well to their advantage and getting the players for their system and coaching up the system. I'll give them all the credit in the world for all of those things. I still think that there's a high likelihood they miss the playoffs. Yeah. I agree. I think it's going to be obviously a game worth watching because uh, uh, definitely a clash of styles, but also the you know St. Louis has has already proven that they can uh, put together a really uh, engaging and entertaining atmosphere, and so uh, and LAFC same thing. And I so I think that um, I I'm I'm a little bit cautiously optimistic because uh, the team has been playing better and and we have so many. Uh, uh, players sort of back in the fold, uh, but I would say kind of very cautiously optimistic. And I think if we can, um, I mean, if we can get three points from these two games um, in total, I think that that that's probably um, that's probably okay. And if we get if we can get like you know if we can get four, that's amazing, honestly. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that um, the the environment in on Wednesday in LA will probably be the easiest yeah. of the two. Um, we know that, uh, St. Louis is going to be wild for that match and they have a very good environment and it's going to be wild because it's against Kansas city and all of the soccer capital of America stuff we just talked about. So all of that will be a big, you know, proponent of, for creating a a pretty wild environment there. And it's going to be hard for sure. Um, I think it's interesting to think that their best chance for points uh, from that perspective might be against LA. Um, but I, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We get a goal early against St. Louis, and that'll shut them up. And all of a sudden, the game will change. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, I am also cautiously optimistic, but again, it's going to be really dependent on player availability yeah. and fitness. I think, and That's I think, gonna I think Melia, the Melia thing is is probably the most concerning, um, um, you know, player uh, potential absence. So I think it's probably, you know, really worth watching our goalkeeping closely to see what gives. Yeah, I think, you know, it's not even potential. Amelia is definitely out on Wednesday. Right. I wouldn't see him. I, I wouldn't expect him for either game, to be completely honest. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the question is going to be, is it McIntosh or Pulse Camp? And who is able to really command their box from that position? That's been really the big issue when Amelia is not out there, is that he has much more control of what's going on inside the 18 than the other guys do. Okay. We've done it. That is it. So on that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.